The Holy Spirit is a life-giving spirit that emanates from the very person of the Father and from Messiah Jesus. The Holy Spirit puts love in you and also the power of truth in you, the power of faith in you, and also the mind of Christ. Literally then, Christ himself is in you, not in person, but in spirit. Jesus is your Savior who literally is inside of you, in your mind, to clean you up and change you and save you from within. Jesus kept the Sabbath while he lived as a human on earth. Jesus did. The gospel books record how he taught us to keep the Sabbath. He swept away the human regulations that made Sabbath observance a yoke of bondage. He healed people on the Sabbath. He taught that it is right to do good things on the Sabbath. He showed that it's even right to pull an ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath. Why? Because the Sabbath was made for man to be a blessing for us. The Sabbath was made to be enjoyed to spiritually refresh us in fellowship and communion with God and with Jesus. TGIS. Not TGIF. TGIS. Thank goodness it's Sabbath. Amen. for all the goodness and love we have experienced during this past week. We recognize you as the giver of all good things, and we praise you. Through this week, we grew in faith, and we realized again that serving is not an option, but, it, but a life goal. Every choice we make should boldly work to, for, to forward your kingdom, not our own self-interest. We thank you that we don't take 
that bold stance alone. We thank you that even when we lack the strength to do the right thing, be even when we struggle to make the right choice, your spirit reminds us that there is internality and to consider. From you, we have the spirit of power, love, and desire that obedience to the, your world, to your word requires. Help us to live faithfully for you. We praise in the name of our Savior who taught us to pray. Our Father, Father who, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beware the half-truth. You may have gotten hold of the wrong half. The sermons from the last two weeks were difficult because I laid bare some false doctrines about end-time events which are promoted by many modern prophecy teachers. It can be unpleasant when doctrines that you've blindly accepted are discredited. And that's what we did. We properly categorized the rapture and the seven-year tribulation theories as end-time false doctrines. And there are other end-time false doctrines being embraced and taught by Bible teachers who seem to have left Scripture behind. There is one end-time false doctrine that I often hear being promoted, even by Christians who sincerely doubt the rapture and the great tribulation theories. So I am compelled to explore this next false doctrine. Otherwise, the Bible study of the last two weeks would be incomplete. The next belief has been used as the rationale by millions of Christians to give credibility to the rapture and the seven-year tribulation false doctrines, even when Scripture does not support these doctrines. This belief is that Israel today remains chosen by God as his special people, modern-day Israel. To evaluate this belief, a student needs to begin in the Old Testament. When was the first time the name Israel was used? Can you remember? It goes back to a long time ago, back to Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. Jacob had been wrestling with an angel, and as Jacob clung to the angel, broken and, and subdued, the angel said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel for you have struggled with God and prevailed. Jacob's new name, Israel, was a special name with deep spiritual significance. Jacob received his new name after he had repented, after he had placed himself entirely dependent upon God. What does Israel mean? Israel means prince with God. It was a spiritual name. The name Israel 
symbolized Jacob's victory over his past sins. This man Israel had 12 sons who traveled to Egypt. They lived and multiplied in Egypt in the most fertile area of Egypt, the land of Goshen along the river Nile. But they were forced into slavery. We know the story. Until God said to Moses, Say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let my son go. Right here in Exodus, the name Israel was expanded by God. It no longer referred to only the one man, Jacob. The, new, the name Israel now referred to the descendants of Jacob, a nation of people. It was God's desire for the new nation of Israel to be victorious, as was Jacob through faith in God. God renamed these chosen people, this new nation, whom he called my son, my firstborn. What was the name God chose for his people? Israel, which means prince with God. However, we know from Scripture that the nation Israel did not live victoriously through God. The history of the nation of Israel was replete with idol worship, and the people adopted the customs of the pagan nations around them. About 800 B.C., that's a long time ago, almost 3,000 years ago, God said to the prophet Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Yet by this time in history, the nation Israel had failed to live up to the meaning of its own name, Prince with God. And God sadly declared in the very next verse, they sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carved images. Yet God had a special plan. That small, solitary sentence, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, this sentence carried tremendous importance. 800 years passed. Heaven's prophetic clock stuck, struck 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Herod felt threatened by a potential rival to his throne. So he sent his soldiers to cruelly put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and its district from two years old and below. But God had warned Joseph in advance of the slaughter. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. Then Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, continues with words of amazing prophetic implications. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew wrote that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus remained in Egypt 
until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by his prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Do you realize the prophetic significance of what Matthew wrote? He quoted from the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, which in its historical context referred to the nation of Israel being called out of Egypt in the time of Moses. But then, here in Matthew's gospel, we read that the prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. And this truth is a foundational tenet of the New Testament church. In the New Testament... Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and two offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Paul was referring to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, where God definitely called Israel the offspring of Abraham. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Paul plainly wrote that Abraham's descendant does not refer to many, but to one. Who is Christ? What does this mean? It means that just like Matthew, Paul looked in the Old Testament and saw statements concerning Israel as inherently foreshadowing the coming Messiah. To Paul, the descendant Isaiah spoke of was the Messiah, the perfect Israel, the perfect prince with God. So now we can take this to the next level. Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 6, and 7, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Paul taught that without faith you are not a son of Abraham. John the Baptist understood this. He boldly preached it. John the Baptist astonished the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he preached at them. He preached to them saying, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, if need be, in other words. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Those religious leaders did not have faith like Abraham's faith, yet they claimed to be his children. John the Baptist exposed them. Basically, he said they were faithless. Wait until you hear what Jesus said. Jesus taught exactly the same truth. He said to the Pharisees, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. The Pharisees countered by saying, We have one Father, God. Then Jesus said to them, You do the deeds of your Father. 
If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Powerful words. Deeply striking. Jesus was talking to the Jewish leaders who claimed to be Israelites, the children of Abraham. But Jesus said they were not Abraham's children at all because they lacked true faith and they were following lies. Jesus said that their lineage went back to Satan. He said they were of the devil. Jesus, our Savior, taught that faith makes a person a son of Abraham, not ethnicity. In John chapter 1, a spiritually minded Jewish man named Nathaniel was wondering whether Jesus was really the Messiah. He prayed about the matter, and a friend introduced him to the Savior. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel, Jesus joyfully, yeah, yeah, Jesus joyfully exclaimed, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel, being Jewish, had a natural lineage that went back to Abraham. But there was something else far more important. Jesus discerned Nathaniel's faith. Nathaniel was an Israelite indeed. He became part of God's true spiritual Israel through his faith. There are two Israels, a natural Israel that claims Jewish ethnicity and a spiritual Israel that claims faith lineage. Listen to the words of Paul from Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. These words are powerful. Paul taught that someone is truly a Jewish person whose right is heart. Is, whose heart is right with God. Ethnicity does not matter in God's eyes. A believing Gentile who through faith has a change of heart produced by the Holy Spirit is in effect a real Jewish person in God's eyes. So we see from Scripture that John the Baptist, Paul, and Jesus all agree natural lineage is not enough. Whether or not someone is a true Israelite, in God's eyes, depends on their faith. Anyone today can become a spiritual Israelite, no matter who their earthly parents are. Now, we've identified this false belief because millions of Christians use it to rationalize belief in the rapture and the seven-year tribulation false doctrines. If you conclude 
that God's promises made to Israel in the Old Testament must literally be fulfilled by a nation full of Jewish folk, then you will likely also conclude that Jerusalem and the modern Jewish nation of Israel will eventually become the epicenter of the final battle of Armageddon. But if you conclude that those promises made by God in the Old Testament are to be fulfilled by a nation of Christ's followers, which is the nation of Jesus, his church, then you will realize that end time, the end time prophecies apply to Christians regardless of ethnicity. Modern Israel is a nation that almost totally rejects Jesus as the Messiah. Over Less than 2% of the population in modern-day Israel are Christian. Less than 2%. And 75% of them are Palestinian. Will God keep his promises to an unbelieving nation? Let's read now from Romans chapter 9, verse, verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Let me say it another way. They are not all Israel who are of the Jewish nation. A Jew can be a citizen of a Middle Eastern country named Israel and not be part of the Israel of God. Paul continued in verses 7 and 8. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are those who receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Israel that is through Isaac is the Israel of God. The Israel of today are those who have faith in Jesus, Jews or Gentiles. Faith in Jesus, the Messiah, is necessary to be counted as an Israelite, a spiritual child of God. The Bible is clear. God will fulfill his Old Testament promises to those through Isaac. Isaac was the one of Abraham's son. His son was Jacob. That's where the whole story began, back with Abraham. This means that any human being who follows Abraham's example of faith becomes part of God's Israel in the spirit. Perhaps you can see how the definition of Israel has expanded from one man to a nation to a world where the inhabitants claim faith, the church of Jesus. The issue is not ethnicity, bloodline, genealogy, or culture. The issue is faith in Jesus. Ethnicity does not make a person special in God's eyes. Those who are the children of the promise are counted as the children of God. But I know there's one more sticking point that some believers just can't seem to understand. What about Romans chapter 11? where Paul asks the question, has God rejected his own people? This question by Paul 
and his statement in verse 26, all Israel will be saved, these verses are quoted around the world to prove that God has not rejected ethnic Israel. How do we explain this? Easy. Read the context. Paul answers his own question. In verse 1, after he asked the question, Paul answered, By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul uses himself as an example to prove that God has not cast away his people. And in verses 14 and 15, you can read that there are Jewish people who are rejected. In verses 2 through 5 of chapter 11, Paul explained how Israel in Elijah's day abandoned God and defected to the religious ways of its pagan neighbors. This is one of the stories of Elijah. God told Elijah, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men, men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Baal was an idol that, that was constructed by the hands of men and was worshipped. In Elijah's time, there were two Israels. One, Israel followed the idol worship of Baal. The other, Israel followed God. Then in verse 5, Paul made an insightful application. He said, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. This same situation exists today. There is still a faithful remnant of Jewish believers who have not joined Israel through lineage but have joined Israel through faith in Messiah Jesus. But sadly, we are now in the midst of a terrible apostasy. The vast majority of the Christian world has adopted end-time delusions based upon Jewish, Jewish ethnicity, which is a literal interpretation of prophecy, far from the truth. But there is good news. Even today, God has his thousands and thousands of Jewish believers who have not bowed the knee to false belief. There is still a faithful remnant who rely on God's power, who understand that only faith can allow a person to be a child of God. It is faith lineage, not natural lineage, that makes us God's people. Paul wrote a lot about Jews and Gentiles being invited into one body. That was one of the big topics of his day, the interaction between Jews and non-Jews. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul called it the mystery of Christ. And then I'm going to leave one final verse with you today. Such a powerful verse. Paul wrote in his book to the province of Galatia, that's where the word Galatians come from. The people of the province of Galatia were called the Galatians. It was a Roman province back around, back in the first century AD. Paul wrote, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. May God grant us wisdom to understand his word. Amen. Hallelujah.